Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello and welcome to New Books in History. My name is Christine Lamberson and I'll be your host today. Today I'm speaking with Mitchell Roth about his new book out from the University of North Texas Press just this past year in 2016. The book is called Convict Cowboys, the Untold History of the Texas Prison Rodeo. So hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. So I was wondering if we could start off, if you might tell me a little bit about yourself and about how you came to be a historian, how you came to be a Texan as well. Well, my my career is full of serendipity. I'll put it like that. And um, I lived in California and uh, decided in my 30s to go to graduate school and become a Western historian. And um, uh, I was married to another historian at the time. And uh, we both got jobs here at Sam Houston State University. So we moved from uh, Santa Barbara to Huntsville, Texas back in 92. And um, I started teaching uh, Western history and Texas history, and then I was able to uh, kind of create what was kind of an adjunct situation into a job in the criminal justice department as a historian of criminal justice. And instead of being pigeonholed into just one kind of discipline, like you know, Western history or, or whatever, um, really I could write about anything I wanted to, dealing with the history of criminal justice, but very few people uh, write about it. And while Western history has always been my interest, I've also been interested in Texas history. And so I living in Huntsville for a while, I started asking questions about, you know, what books were available on this and that. And of course, one of the things that topics that kept coming up was uh, the Texas prison rodeo. And uh, that was kind of a piece of East Texas uh popular culture or tradition for over 50 years, and I found nobody had written a book about it. And, um, you know, I felt like I would take advantage of, you know, whatever archives that we had in the area here, and um, it seemed like a book that, you know, might have some legs. Um, I've written 16 books, and, you know, you know, some of them are successful, some of them aren't, and um, I, I just wanted to write something that might reach a, kind of a a broader audience and um this book is you know done very well i've done a lot of book signings around the state and everything and it was a fun book to write and uh and, and living near the prison museum also well, they have a wonderful archives here and and then of course in austin they have a great archives and i know lots of people most of the texas historians i know so um i was very well situated to write this book Great. Well, let's dive right in. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what the Texas Prison Rodeo was? Yeah. So back in the in the, uh, around 1930, um, obviously the country was in depression, and and Texas was you know deep in the depression. And back then they didn't really the state didn't give any money to um, the prisoners for uh, you know medical uh, issues. Like if you needed a new eyeball or a new arm or a new leg or teeth, you had to come up with the money on your own. And the same thing, there wasn't money for education or sports and things like that. So um, uh, one of the Lee Simmons, who was the uh, superintendent of the prison system at the time, came up with the idea of, you know, just one day it was like a spur of the moment thing. He talked 
to a couple other employees and said, why don't we have a prison rodeo? We'll just have, um, you know, just for the uh, prisoners and their, and the employees and their families. And, you know, it was just kind of like supposed to be like a, a one and done situation. And uh, pretty soon, you know, people from all over Huntsville came to watch and had a few hundred people. And so he came up with the idea, well, maybe if we charge for this, we can maybe make some money and put it into the education and recreation fund for the inmates. And so here, you know, they can have some, uh, you know, some good wholesome entertainment and, uh, and, and perhaps show the better side of um, the convicts, you know, riding horses and things like that. So, um, you know, in a matter of a few years, uh, they had kind of uh, got to the point where, you know, they were getting a, a few hundred to a few thousand and then about 10, 15,000 uh, within five years were coming to this. And this is in a town that has about 10 or 15,000, you know, free people, you know, outside of the prisons. And uh, by the uh, uh, 1940s and 50s, you know, it was, it was not uh, uncommon for them to have 30,000 people coming to a Sunday performance. So anyway, they had it every Sunday um, uh, in October and uh, they did for 50 some years from 1931 to 1986. And initially uh, it was supposed to just be, you know, events with the, with the Cowboys involved. And then they kept, you know, jazzing it up by adding new events, adding more dangerous events, um, bringing in an occasional celebrity like a Tom Mix, the old Western star. And they'd hoped to have um, a couple other people, but uh, you know, they died before they could come there. Will Rogers and, fact, um, he had promised to be there in 1935, and he died in a plane crash, which was really unfortunate. But uh, over time, uh, they were make, bringing a lot of money, and the money was used to refurbish the stands. It was put into, you know, put to use for the inmates, and the inmates all looked forward to this. This was probably the first idea that the prison system had, or the superintendent had, that the inmates liked having a prison rodeo, and so it gave them something to look forward to in October because if they were well behaved, um, they were allowed to attend one of the shows, and. Um, you know, and uh, a, a, over time, as uh, popular culture changed, um, it kind of moved away from really its southern roots because it used to have like a lot of kind of minstrel uh, show, and the cotton uh, the, the cotton pickers glee club was a very popular um, perf- you know performance group. Um, but one of the things I think that um, Probably, probably wasn't mentioned that much at the time was in the 1930s um, you know all, all uh, sports were uh, segregated in Texas except for the Texas Prison Rodeo where you had the actual black and white performers uh, competing in, um, in the same ring uh, you know for the same prizes and you, you know you'd see them helping each other up and that sort of thing and uh, you know that was you know while they had to sit separate in the stands uh, really the color lines were broken uh, inside the um, uh, amphitheater, the arena. So you've touched on a number of things that I wanted to ask you a little bit more about. And so I thought maybe we might start with just talking a little bit about what the rodeo was like for the inmates, for the prisoners. And your book is full of stories of particular individuals and people who are participating and what it's like for them and how they contributed to the development of the rodeo and its change over time. And I was wondering if you might talk a little bit generally about what the experience was like for the prisoners and how this influenced them. And then maybe pick one or two people that you particularly enjoyed researching to talk about their experience. Well, what was, it was interesting, um, you know, was, 
for the convicts who got, you know, this was their, you know, one of the rare chances to see free world people uh, when you had 30,000 people coming. And so the convicts were sitting in their own particular area, the bleachers watching, um, but they were probably spending just as much time watching the free world people and kind of imagining, you know, what they're doing when they go home, you know, after it's all over. And, uh, you know, it's kind of vice versa. The free worlders were, you know, kind of, you know, this is a, a very rare glimpse into the hidden subculture of, of the prison system. And really, uh, you, you can see this. It's uh, rooted back, uh, you know, probably a, a hundred years earlier when they, you know, when prison tourism became uh, kind of a going concern in uh, several prisons around the United States where people would pay to walk through the prison and just kind of, you know, look at the people. And so really, this kind of falls into that same um you know, frame of reference, because, uh, you know, I think if this was a regular rodeo, I don't know if they'd be so inclined to go um, to this. Uh, but for the convicts also, you know, it was one of the few places where they could get cheers and and they could win enough, you know, a small amount of money in some of the events. But the money went very far in the prison commissary. And so, you know, it, to them, it was a lot of money that they had a chance of winning. But you know, getting a medal or getting, you know, the, I guess the, uh, the positive feedback was really important for them. And, um, it did a lot for their self-esteem, you know, especially in Texas being a prisoner is kind of at the bottom, you know, of the barrel for all these people, you know? So thinking about these experiences, my other question, I guess, was how did some individual prisoners contribute to the rodeo and experiences, especially the people who came to be relatively popular. Well, what's interesting is uh, uh, some of the biggest winners, in fact, uh, you know, some of the greatest uh, rodeo riders were African-American and uh, and they developed uh, their crowds um, over time. You know, people, you know, that were fans of them and many of them were African-American. I mean, it got to the point in the 1950s uh, that you had, um, uh, mag like uh, reporters from Ebony Magazine coming here and kind of uh, chronicling, you know, the exploits of you know some of the uh, the riders, and um, over there, there was one rider who um, uh, over a period of forty years won it seven times, and uh, you know, and his name was uh, O'Neill Browning. Um, and he was probably, uh, you know, the best known of all the convicts. He uh, had an interesting backstory. Um, he had lost a thumb rodeoing when he was a teenager and got in a lot of trouble down the Houston area. You know, with his family, and eventually um, he ended up killing his father with an axe, and he went to prison. And he, but he was still able to ride with just one thumb, and was one of the greatest. And he was there, you know, well into his fifties. And there was another guy named Willie Craig, um, also who you know participated. Um, I, it was very hard for me to find actual you know participants because it's been over thirty years since it ended. And you know, the people that are in prison, they end up you know kind of vanishing in the ether. You know after you know they're they're finished there but you know really uh most of these guys were you know felons that were in there and uh one of the guys i did speak to um was actually there um his name was glenn gustafson and he was there for um for life for uh, a double murder and he um 
you know, he got out uh, eventually, but um, he was actually a very good writer. He wrote for the prison newspaper, and um, some of the best accounts of the prison um, rodeo uh, cowboys, the convict cowboys, were found in the, uh, the Texas prison um, the newspaper. And, um, you know, using him kind of as a prism in which to look at the rodeo, uh, you know, was very informative. Um, you know, he hated the prison system, so, you know, had to, you know, take with a grain of salt everything he, you know, said. Um, but I was able to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, find that most of what he said was, you know, you know, pretty realistic. I mean, he, for instance, he was there when John Wayne came mm -hmm. and John Wayne, uh, he said was drunk. And, uh, I found some letters written between a couple of other people here who reported that John Wayne was drunk when he was here. And, um, he, and one of the things he pointed out was that he wouldn't shake hands with the prisoners which I thought was kind of interesting. But on the other hand, um, the entertainers were all paid through the prisoner uh, welfare fund. Uh, and so John Wayne, when he found out would come out of the prisoner's pockets, he said he didn't want to be paid. And so he was one of the few um, celebrities that came to say hi that uh, didn't get paid. So, you know, as far as the, you know, actual individual cowboys, um, I think what, you know, what, what's just as interesting as the convict cowboys are the strange events that they added uh, to kind of, you know, bring the rodeo into the 20th century. And they would do crazy things like uh, right after World War II, there were a couple of prisoners that were in jail for a forgery and they'd been paratroopers during World War II. And they offered to jump out of a plane from about 1500 um, feet up and land in the middle of the arena and so the first year you had one of these guys doing this and all four Sundays he did it and all four Sundays he missed the arena ending up in trees on cars and the in the cemetery it was it was humorous you know he didn't get hurt and then the following year another guy tried to you know he offered to do the same thing with the same uh, criminal background and he he was uh, even worse he was he one time he opened the his chute open while he was inside the plane he couldn't even get out so it was uh you know, kind of wacky. And then they have, you know, uh, this woman, Marilyn Rich, the helicopter girl doing tricks underneath a helicopter. And really all this stuff had nothing to do with the rodeo. And, you know, people, um, you know, on the inside, you know, we're just doing it, you know, just trying to come up with ways to, you know, drum up attendance. Um, so they'd always ratchet it up. I mean, if there was no injuries, they would tell the guys to use like a packet of ketchup to, sh you know, for some fake blood. Um, but, but a lot of the events were really crazy and you would never find them in a regular rodeo. They actually served no, you know, ranching purpose whatsoever. Um, they had, you know, at one time in the thirties, they had a guy riding a Buffalo <laughs> of all things. You had, uh, guys, uh, standing on their head and having horses jump from be between their legs. Um, it was almost like they were showing off and, uh, you know, and, and the, the the female prisoners were allowed to come uh, attend it as well, but even though they weren't allowed to uh, perform until the 1970s, um, and they were allowed to dress up in very nice outfits rather, you know, than the prison garb. So mm -hmm. there's a picture of that in the book. Yeah, that's great. Um, so as, since you talked a little bit about injuries and these sorts of, um, I don't know, more and more elaborate sorts of events and things like that, I was wondering if you might talk, thinking a little bit about the appeal of of going to the prison rodeo as a spectator. Um, you know, you talk a little bit about the fact that there are numerous injuries and accidents over the period of time. You, you say that only one person 
died during the actual uh-huh. uh, rodeo over its lifespan. But I was wondering if you might talk a little bit about how that, um, how those injuries, how that danger factor kind of fits in. You already talked a little bit about how part of this is sort of prison tourism, but a little bit more about that yeah. feel from a spectator standpoint. Well, I think for a lot of people, it w- it's kind of like people that go to car races. Um, you know, hoping to see, uh, you know, they might not say it, but, uh, you know, they would be, uh, wouldn't be uh, disappointed if there was a car wreck or something like that. Um, or just like, you know, anybody who's driving down the highway, and you see a car wreck, you know, you just you know, want to stop and watch. And so I think uh, there was that, that violent nature of it. And also, too, there was a lot of this phony hearkening to uh, the, the, the Western frontier as well. A lot of a lot of that uh, was used, um, whereas really East Texas was never really part of the frontier experience but um you know they could it was very easily to easy to manipulate you know uh history and manipulate uh you know the uh the knowledge of you know the people that went to this you know they would pretend like this is the way it was in the west and rather you know i think uh it was either louis lamour or something this is the west as it should have been <laughs> rather than really how it was and um you know even places like dallas you know which have tried to you know borrow um the western ethos and the cattle you know uh, tra- you know the cattle trails and stuff you know really wasn't part of the west either um but you know it's a it's a big selling tool because really if you look at you know the popular you know most popular american icons probably the cowboy and so, uh, you know, looking at, you know, the development of uh, the Texas Prison Rodeo and looking at its antecedents going back to the Wild West shows and, the, you know, the uh, amateur you know, rodeo, rodeo events in the 19th century, um, you can see, you know, the interest, I think, it didn't change was people trying to uh, – you know, uh, look, look, look at the past, and uh, you know, living in kind of a dull, you know, present. And if you look at really the uh, the, the halcyon years of the rodeo, were kind of in the fifties when all the Texas, all the uh, Western TV shows were on. They were very popular, and um, you know, it said something about American culture. You know, it was kind of. Uh, you know, a culture of conformity, and you know, to, to many people, that the, the the prisoners and the, the cowboys, they were all kind of outsiders. So I, th- I think there was a lot of, uh, you know, borrowing this, you know, this narrative, you know, the individual, the person who's outside of society, and it all comes together in the rodeo ring. Interesting. So I want to talk a little bit about how the rodeo changes over time. But before we do that, one of the things that's really striking about your book and and hearing you talk as well is that in a lot of ways, the Texas prison rodeo seems like a pretty positive story. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there are lots of new books by historians about prisons coming out at the moment. Um, You talk about some of that in your book as well. Uh, There's certainly lots of news articles about prisons. And generally speaking, that's not an era of positive you know, positivity. That's not a positive story most of the time. And the prison rodeo is starting at a time when the Texas prison system is brutal in many ways. Prison farms are really terrible places to be. There's lots of brutality. There's lots of segregation. There's lots of racism, etc. Sure. And so I was wondering if you might talk a little bit about how this story fits into that larger narrative of, of prison history and into the system that in many ways is a system of of brutality and not not a positive story in other realms. 
Yeah, well, I, and I, I think that, you know, this is kind of a bookend to that. Um, you know, if you look at, um, you know, the prison system in Texas uh, in the 1930s, it was, you know, uh, universally, uh, you know, known as one of the worst, uh, most brutal prison systems. But in the 40s and 50s, they began to uh, modernize under some, you know, uh, some uh, new superintendents and that sort of thing. And, you know, and they began to, you know, try and move into the 20th century. Um but uh, you know, the, but the bottom line is, is that they weren't getting any money from the state because uh, you know you didn't have a lot of public support for spending money on prisons, um, and even today there's not a lot of support for that. You know, prisoners used to be able to get Pell grants and get educated in in, in prisons. And I'd hear prison guards complaining, well, I have to pay for mine. Why should they get it for free? You know, that sort of thing. Not thinking of the long-term you know, problem of having people unprepared for the, the free world. Um, but, you know, I think uh, for the prison system, too, this was uh, they're putting their best foot forward by this Texas prison rodeo. You have, you know, you know, TV and uh you know, all the different media would, would cover it, you know, from that era. And, uh, you know, and like you said, it was a very positive um, thing. You didn't have um, PETA back then, for instance. And there were several other prison rodeos um, as well around the United States, you know, over time. But this was the first one. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, interesting that, you know, that they would have it in a really a non-Western state. Um, although, you know, you have people kind of the urban cowboy, uh, you know, uh, fad that was big in East Texas and then spread across the country. And of course, uh, the urban cowboy was, you know, partly filmed, you know, at the the prison rodeo. Mm -hmm. But, um, but the the thing is, is that this was something this was something, a rare positive uh, impression uh, that could be given to the public and they bought it hook, line and sinker. And they were very good at the very media savvy at, um, you know, basically showing the best side of the, of the prison system come uh, October Sundays. Mm-hmm. So were there criticisms of the prison rodeo along the way? Yeah, well, there were. Um, the biggest criticism actually came from the religious community and it's kind of uh, interesting is when, the, you know, Huntsville's a place with, you know, more churches than bars and that sort of thing. And uh, when they first started it in 1931, uh, Lee Simmons went around to all the congregations and asked for permission to have a Sunday uh, prison rodeo. And, and they had plenty of support from the community. Uh, but by the 1940s, the Baptists um, uh, were, you know, getting energized, you know, against, uh, number one, having prisoners being involved in some type of, you know, public uh, forum. And number two, having it done on Sundays. You know, of course, they uh, ignored the fact that football is played on Sunday and a lot of other sports and even hunting takes place on Sunday. Sunday. But, you know, I found all kinds of letters to um, the prison system from different groups in Palestine and places like that and uh, Pasadena just, uh, you know, complaining about this. And so um, the thing is, is the prison system tried, reacted by um, uh, one year changing the date to Saturday. Um, then another year they tried uh, having one during the week and one on the weekend. But it, nothing ever worked as well as Sundays because that's when everybody's off. And um, 
they were able to basically um, respond to the uh, religious community by telling them that, that this is a, a very religious thing to do for these people, um, that it really is, you know, doing, doing the, the Lord's work, kind of there's a certain amount of forgiveness and, and all of that, you know, implicit in having the Sunday prison rodeo. So they never really moved away from, from that. But that was the, the biggest criticism came from, from that. And then, you know, as you moved into the 1960s and 70s, you know, time period of the writ riders and things like that, um, and you, and Texas was the target of you know federal lawsuits, and uh, you know, a lot of the focus, you know, was you know off of the Texas prison rodeo, and it really, you know, it kind of outlived its um, use because by the 70s and 80s, uh, 60s and 70s, uh, the tech Austin was giving them money um, for the same things they were raising money for. Um, you know, as far as uh, medical and educational care and things like that. So they didn't need to raise the money the way they used to. And also, uh, I think it lasted as long as it did because of a lot of creative bookkeeping, uh, making it seem like it was uh, making more money than it actually was. And in reality, it was, you know, losing money. And, uh, you know, they tried saving money by, you know, getting rid of the having the, the the western stars coming and you know saying hi in the middle of the ring or Frankie Avalon or or um candy bar the stripper they they did that for a while and then they stopped it in the 70s and they saw nobody would come but anybody can go to a rodeo but you know how many people can go to a rodeo and see Steve McQueen or John Wayne or Willie Nelson or Johnny Cash so um, the problem too by that time period is that it was getting too expensive to pay these stars you know they used to be able to afford it so um you know, the modern world was starting to infringe on um, the, you know, the rodeo era. And also, too, I think there was a criticism from people in Huntsville um, because, you know, by the, I would say by the, you know, the 60s, there was a, compl- a lot of complaints about parking problems and, you know, kind of theft and just, you know, uh, the, uh, Huntsvilleians didn't want to be uh, kind of identified as part of uh you know, the Texas, the prison system, you know, this being the main event. And there were people actually saying, well, we can make as much money having football games here and this and that, and which is a joke also, because no one was going to come, you know, to Huntsville for these types of events. Um, But I think it was um, kind of a a perfect storm to a certain extent of, uh, you know, the depression and this idea of, uh, you know, ways to make money and entertain the public and give the prisoners, you know, this help, you know, the prisoners were really well behaved. Um, if you think of the thousands that went to these things and the opportunities for escaping or fighting or, or whatever. And for the most part, they policed each other because they knew that, you know, they would only have the prison rodeo as long as the prisoners weren't a problem. And, uh, and there was a lot of, um, uh, I guess uh, you know the, the prisoners all kind of supported each other, and even those that didn't ride, if someone did, couldn't afford um, their own boots or their own chaps or whatever, they had leather goods makers that would make them for them. Um, you know, there was kind of a, an esprit de corps among the prisoners that you know you really aren't used to seeing, especially you know in the gang culture uh, in the prisons today. Uh, but back then, the prison culture was very different, and by the seventies and eighties, the prison culture was changing as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, were there other aspects of how uh, the rodeo changed over time? Um, the you might well, touch there on? was in the seventies when they brought in the women. You mm-hmm. know. 
Um, but you know, looking at it from a you know a gender perspective, uh, you know, the, the it was kind of demeaning the events that they had for the women, um, things like chasing greased pigs and things like that. And they only had the women involved as long as um, the female prison was located real close. And then it, when it moved to Gatesville, um, which is far away, uh, they, the women stopped performing. So the only women you saw in the prison rodeo were like on the quadrille teams and you know doing trick riding and that sort of thing. Um, so you know there were. It's it's interesting too. I found. Um, you know, that women were very much involved in the original rodeos uh, in the early uh, 20th century. Um, they did a lot of the events, the, you know, that the men did. Um, but a woman was killed in uh, doing one of the, um, I don't know, if, if, I think it, w- it was either one of the uh, bull riding events or uh, ho- uh, wild horse riding events. Um, but the, the rodeo association changed the rules, keeping women away from this. And then the, the same thing uh, happened in the, the Olympics. There were some, uh, there used to be some horse events for women in the Olympics and they got rid of those as well because they didn't think it was, you know, feminine enough or safe enough and that sort of thing. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting gender issues, you know, looking at, uh, you know, the, the female involvement um, in the Texas prison rodeo. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious thinking about, you know, why the rodeo comes to an end when it does in 1986. I mean, a lot of the factors that you're talking about are sort of big cultural changes and structural changes happening in prisons and and whatnot. Um, And of course the Angola penitentiary in uh, Louisiana still has a prison rodeo. I was curious if you might talk a little bit about kind of the ending of the Texas prison rodeo in the context of the larger landscape of prison rodeos and and just that sort of oddity, so to speak. Yeah. You know, in in the 1980s, um, I think the, the the biggest problem um, is when everybody on the prison board, Texas prison board realized uh, that they could be sued um, in court. The uh, you know prisoners had become much more litigious, you know, by then, you know, especially with the writ riders and you know a lot of the problems within the prison system. Um, but also, you know, they could never get enough uh, uh, insurance uh, that would really protect them the way they wanted to be protected. So you combine that with the rodeo not making any money and uh, there really weren't a whole lot of um, there wasn't a lot of support for keeping it around they tried um, uh, raising money in uh, the Huntsville area getting uh, different merchants to you know kick in uh, money they needed $800,000 they said to fix the stadium as it was falling apart Um, but that was kind of just an excuse because it took them 12 years to tear the stadium down and uh, they were only able to raise a few hundred dollars so that that itself demonstrated that you know that the local population really wasn't that interested in continuing um, you know the experience. So you you have the, have that and um, and also too the sensibilities were starting to change. You you know animal rights people. Uh, you had. Uh, you know, the rising uh, problems with gangs, you know, and, uh, you know, after uh, the, the prisons were desegregated, you had, you know, kind of a rise in, in gang membership and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, just the, the era was changing and uh, the sensibilities were changing, you know, I mean, there were other there were and there were so many other things for people to do at that point, even though, you know, the computer world was yet to come. Uh, you know, you had a lot more uh, outlets for uh, entertainment by the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Also, I, another thing I, you know, I, I probably should have touched on also was uh, you didn't have that many people with any rodeo skills as well. I right. mean, most of the, you know, I mean, uh, even early on, they used to like to say uh, in the rodeo promotional material that these guys had all been riders out on the ranges and this and that. And I went through the, uh, the prison archives looking at you because when you uh, go into prison, you, you know, you they write down what your profession was. And there were actually more actors <laughs> in prison in the 30s and there were um, rodeo uh, performers so there really weren't that that many but they were you know generally more um, familiar with livestock and the ranching way of life um, in the 30s and 40s and 50s and then as time goes on you know they're more likely to be guys that you know robbed a 7-Eleven and the only horse they'd ever seen was on TV so obviously it was going to become much more dangerous for them to you know to perform and maybe they wouldn't be as good So what does this book tell us about criminal justice in Texas and how it's changed over time and how the prison system has changed over time and also just how things have changed for inmates over the course of the story? Well, I think uh, what the book demonstrates is the uh, evolution of the prison system, and, and I made sure to keep that as the backdrop to um, the actual prison rodeo itself. You know, as it moved from a mostly an agricultural-based uh, prison system, you know, um, you know, to one that was a lot more modern. And, uh, you know, at the time when it was the agricultural, I mean, the, 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 the guys that ran the different, the wardens that ran the different, you know, prisons, you know, that was their own, like, feudal states, and they could really get away with anything. And, uh, you know, a lot of this, you know, was taking place out in rural areas where no one saw it and no one found out about it until, um, you know, in the 1940s, um, you started to have these commissions that were coming around and, you know, uh, you know, insisting that, you know, things get changed. And, and, and of course, you had some modern um, uh, superintendents come in like George Beto um, that really you know, moved the, the prison system forward. And, you know, incidentally, he didn't even like rodeos. He said once he wouldn't walk across the street to go to a rodeo. And his wife probably hated him more because uh, on rodeo Sundays, you know, all the visiting dignitaries and, uh, you know, people that were here, they would come over to the house and people, you know, rodeo guys that needed something sewn or whatever, they would come over. And so she would always check uh, the year before the rodeo started in October to see if it was going to be on four Sundays or five Sundays. And that was very important <laughs> to her, you know, because she, she really didn't uh, care for it. But, um, you know, but, uh, you know, the Texas prison system is, you know, often, you know, been, uh, you know, the target of, you know, prison reform, you know, throughout its history. Um, and uh, even today, you know, it's, it's still a target for reform. You know, it's got, you know, you know, they they have fans at the out in the farms so the pigs don't get hot. And, you mm-hmm. know, there's no air conditioning in the prison cells in Huntsville, you know, in the summer, you know, when it's 100 degrees. Um so, uh, you know, as far as looking at it as, you know, what does it say about the prison, uh, about the American pr- you know, system, uh, you know, prisons or whatever? Um, well, you know, the Texas prison system and the California prison system are two of the, um, you know, the, the largest, the, the two largest uh, prison systems in, in the country. And, um, you know, so go those uh, prison systems, so goes America. And you had very few, um, you know, positive 
experiences for you know comics when they were in prison, you know, because there wasn't any money for them, and and this gave them that outlook. And, and, and in many respects, it, it kept um, violence down in the prison system. You know, at the time, um, I think the prisoners you know got along a lot better. Um, but you know, as uh, as I said, the writ writers like um, the, uh, I'm trying to, was it Rodriguez? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know that the, the different uh, writ writers that uh, you know changed, like the prison tender system. They used to be a prison tender system where you had trustees that had the power of prison guards that were inside the prisons, basically making sure everybody behaved. And um, of course, once this was outlawed, um, you had a vacuum of power in the prisons, and that's where the gangs moved in, um, which is a whole nother story. Um, but I, I think um, a lot of it has to do with in Texas with co-opting um, the Western um, the Western myth, mm-hmm. rather and try, move and trying to distance itself away from the Southern myth because the Western myth is a lot more palatable, you know, uh, than the, than the Southern you know the, the Southern culture when you know, when you look at the plantations and slavery and that sort of thing, you know you don't want to relive that. But you know the you know the West as it ought to be um, is it was an experience many more people had a, a deep attachment. To was you know that's as American as you can get, um, but in reality, slavery was as American as you could get. Also, at the same you know when when that was in session. Absolutely. So, how do you think the Texas prison uh, rodeo is going to be kind of part of historical memory? I'm curious, just kind of thinking about this, um, you know, the Western ethos, and also you of course start by talking a little bit about the rodeo's relationship to prison tourism and how it's sort of a part of that, but prison tourism, I was just not that long ago reading, you know, um, a story about prison tourism, in fact, in Huntsville, and it's something that certainly people still have an interest in. So I was curious if you had any thoughts about where this is going to come down on, on that historical memory. Well, for one thing, the prison, the prison system in Texas has gotten a, a lot more sensitive um, to, uh, you know, outside uh, opinion. And um, I think, you know, the, the prisons are much more closed off to, um, you know, the outside public than they, you know, than they used to be, or, you know, you really have to have a reason to be in a prison now rather than going to watch an event there or, or, you know, to just, you know, tour the prison. So, uh, you know, that's, that's very important, you know, because of, you know, public opinion. Um, you know, as far as, you know, where were we going with this? Well, I was curious sort of how these inter historical memory, how how you might think about uh, right, the Texas right. prison radio? Well, I think it's fading. It's really fading in um, in Texas, and that's why I want. It was also a very timely book for me to do, um, because you know the kids don't care about rodeo now, and you know rodeo, uh, you know, if anything, has gotten a bad rap because of you know animal cruelty and things like that, and so um, you know. People, you know, that remember it kind of remember it's almost like the West remembering it as it should have been. I think people remembering the rodeo as it should have been, you know, and uh, I've gone to some of the reunions of old, um, you know, prison of uh, prison uh, uh, guards and, and people that were involved in the, you know, the prison rodeo. 
And, you know, when you hear them talk about it, uh, you know, they have, you know, a lot of, you know, really good memories about it. But in reality, they just have their particular memory of it. They don't, you know, see the overall picture. And so I, I thought it was important, you know, while I could still, you know, find somebody I could talk to and talk to people that had been there uh, to bring it to life, uh, that this was the right time to do it. And, um, mm-hmm. that, and that's kind of why it happened. Great. So one last question on, on that front, since uh-huh. you just mentioned talking to people, what sort of research did you do for this book? I mean, you mentioned a little bit in the in the book itself and just generally, of course, doing res- doing research on prisons, on prisoners, on anything that's kind of going on in that realm can be very difficult. So how do you really how did you discover the story or how did you really unveil the details of it? Well, uh, what I did is I went over to Austin and uh, where they keep all the, the prison records. And so I, I went through the meetings of the board of um, prison, you know, the prison board uh, meetings over the, you know, over a, about a 60 year period and to, you know, find out what they said about the rodeo and why they were having it. You know, what was the, you know, what were the people in the inner circle talking about that, you know, and th- this is the place to find that. And then I found some collections of letters written, um, you you know, between um, people that were, you know, were in charge of the prison rodeo and, and others that gave you kind of some uh, insight as well. Um, so I did, and, and I used to, did a lot of newspaper research because it was covered all over. It was even in the uh, in Hollywood, they would say who was going to be uh, in the Texas prison rodeo this year and that sort of thing in the Variety magazine uh, where they talk about the movie business. So um, you know, I, I looked everywhere, and um, I'm, I'm a pretty good researcher. And you know, I think I uh, found you know every piece of archival material uh, that I could find. The only thing I was disappointed in was not finding um, really any uh, convict cowboys to talk to. I found lots of employees that worked there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, you know, people just want to forget that or, you know, 30 years ago, you know, is a long time in the life of a Texas convict. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, but fortunately, there was a lot of material um, that I was able to use. And I had a sabbatical one semester. And my problem is I'm usually working on a couple books at the same time. So, mm-hmm. you know, so that that's always a problem. Well, it's a very well-researched book. I enjoyed reading it. I appreciate um, that. So, given that you're working on quite a few books at the same time, what are you working mm-hmm. on now? Well, I have like four book uh, contracts, and the <laughs> book I'm working on the most, I don't have a contract on. Uh, it's probably going to probably be with the University of Ohio Press, but I'm writing a book on the worst prison disaster in American history, um, which was the Ohio um, prison fire in 1930 that killed 320 inmates. Uh-huh. And uh, nobody's you know, ever written you know, kind of a comprehensive book on it or a well-researched. And, you know, I've, I've been working on it off and on for, you know, about five years. And uh, I've come into, you know, uh, several unpublished um, memoirs of, you know, uh, or diaries of people that survived it. And, uh, and, and, I, and I, I deal with a lot of other issues, too. But really, the 1930s was the first big era of prison overcrowding in the United States. And so I deal with a lot of other issues besides just the fire. I mean, the fire, people were dead within an hour because they died of suffocation. Um, but the the story of why they died, how they died, um, you know, I think is an important story and has relevance for um, for today. Great. Well, that sounds like a great book. Hopefully, maybe we'll have you back on. Well, I appreciate it. 
uh, you know, it's, it's fun. So I'm writing it right now. So, uh, hopefully I'll finish it, um, within the year. And then I'm also working on a book on the world's prison gangs. Um, that I'm, so all around the world and a lot of it's history. And I start out with the, uh, Italian, uh, Camorra in the um, prisons in Naples and work my way forward. So anyway, those are some of the main things I'm working on right now. Well, that was so great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about Convict Cowboys. Okay, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.